Have you ever seen the movie Sling Blade? No. I'll tell you what we need. We need some paying gigs. We don't need just messing around first one patio and then another, and that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's it's okay. Not a lot of people have actually. I would say. I mean, I don't even know, but it's an old Billy Bob Thornton movie, so check it out. Okay. Um, that's that's not what we're talking about today, though. That's just uh, a stupid introduction. That I always make stupid intros today. So if people are wondering what the hell that was, that was a clip from Sling Blade <laughs> from Bob, Billy Bob Thornton. But today I'm joined. Um, by John, and we're going to be talking about uh, cannabis cultivation, um, just in general. But specifically, we're going to be talking about you know how to do it yourself, right? So, John, take a moment to introduce yourself um, and tell us where we can find you online. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. First of all, um, you're doing a great job. Uh, really interviewing some cool people it has some cool things to say and uh really honored to be included in all that and um yeah it's it's fun listening to your podcast and i hope that you continue doing everything and keep killing it man um yeah my name is john i am publisher of illinois craft cannabis um so you can find us at illinoiscraftcannabis.com or most active kind of on instagram right now um at Illinois Craft Cannabis. Uh, I was really hoping to have a lot more content to write about by now <laughs> uh, at the point I started the website, but everything seems to be kind of stalled in the whole thing. So, um, yeah, I've kind of been using the uh, op- using it as an opportunity to more or less uh, <clears throat> have a set up a proof of concept for what, um, you know, I kind of want to be doing in the future as the craft cannabis market opens up and maybe we can talk about that later on in the show but currently right now i'm um maintaining the uh social media for chicago roots hydroponics Uh, that's what i'm most active in um on a on a daily basis as well and just being engaging with people on that um developing content for it um hopefully gonna be getting events started up at a different location uh closer to the south side um which should be really cool so keep in touch by following at chicago roots uh on instagram and we'll be posting events and stuff for later on in the summer when it becomes safer and everything so yeah are they a hydroponic store is that yeah hydroponics we do sell stuff that has uh stuff for outdoor for like dry amendments organics um and uh yeah greenhouse we service everything from you know people that are just dipping their toes into uh the hobby up to you know commercial food producers that are in the city so um, that's 
That's a perfect segue. I, I wanted to make sure that we gave them a plug really quick. So that's a perfect segue. So thank you. Um, yeah, let's. Why don't we just start off with what a, you know somebody might need for starters? And obviously, it sounds like uh, uh, that store has has what what would they need what they would need. But I mean, let's break it down. First of all, we're gonna mm-hmm. need a space, right? Yeah. So um, obviously. Uh, I guess slight disclaimer, uh, you know, information intended for legal uh, medical patients in Illinois <laughs> yeah. uh, operating within their legal limits, uh, <laughs> obligatory. Absolutely. But um, yeah, no. So ideally, you're supposed to be growing inside, according to the law, um, in a locked area or someplace that can be secured by you. So I think outside in a fenced-in area, if it's guarded by a windscreen, it's not visible to the public. Should should be fine too. And honestly. As, as a beginner, that's probably your best way to go. It's going to be your lowest cost. Uh, the sun's absolutely free, and if you got a patch of dirt, dig it up a little bit, weed it, add some high-quality organ- organic dry amendments. Um, you know, that'd be a perfect start. Now, if we want to get into the nitty-gritty, there's all types of stuff you can do to that spot. But, um, yeah, uh, there's nice. one one part all-purpose dry amendments you can um add liquid nutrition if it's convenient for you um a lot of people like to kind of prepare their beds the year before in the autumn um kind of give time for everything to break down in that soil if you're using compost or leaf litter hay um yeah alfalfa pellets i was gonna (laughs) say let's get into that i know the soil for cannabis is um you know you can't just use any soil um for example so um do you have like a a brief description of like what is good soil (laughs) oh well you want something that drains but also has water attention so um if you're ground planting just in you know in the ground you want to you want a kind of a sandy loam oil or soil pardon me <laughs> um so a sandy loam soil consistency and that'll help drain and everything and then you can also add stuff um you know per well most people might not want to put perlite in their own backyard it's not sure worms don't seem to like perlite very well so that would be the biggest issue with that um so green sand is something great that helps to break up earth um and it also adds micronutrients, um, different uh, types of like sphagnum peat moss, um, mulch. Mulch is a great one. Uh, just regular old tree mulch. Um, yeah. And then uh, worm castings. Worm castings are really high quality worm castings. are going to be really airy. Uh, they're going to drain well. They're going to add microbial life, enzymes. Uh, great calcium um you most people you can do a slurry test on your soil to determine the ph of the soil um probably a good idea before you start um and then adding either gypsum or lime to that to balance the ph of that soil if needed uh they usually call that a sweetener (laughs) And we'll talk about pH. pH is important. One thing I wanted to say right out of the bat, I hope I'm not cutting you off, but one no, thing no. we want to one thing we want to avoid 
correct me if I'm wrong, is miracle Grow soil or anything with extended release nutrients, folks. Generally, yeah, you you do want to do that. Um, you want to avoid it, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's got it's got salt based stuff in there. So unless you have a really good way to flush that soil out, um, mm-hmm. you're probably gonna end up with some salts in your flower. So not necessarily gonna kill you, but um, you know, smoking experience is gonna be kind of diminished in my opinion. It's just gonna be harsh and dry weird aromatics are going to be weird um yeah (laughs) definitely avoid that (laughs) yeah so so that's outdoor for Mm -hmm. indoor do you have any recommendations for soil uh right off the bat i use fox farm farms ocean forest and sometimes um mix a little bit of like cocoa in there um just to kind of mix it up what do you recommend for indoor Fox Farm would be a great starter. Um, there's all kinds of companies now making all types of blends and mixes and stuff. Um, ideally, you want to start with a base of sphagnum peat moss, perlite, and uh, lime. It's kind of the most basic. They call it a soilless mix. Um, kind of acts like soil, but uh, it's a mix. Um, and that would be the most basic one. And then upon that, you can add different dry amendments um a lot of companies will sell it all purpose it is a blend of different amendments or you can get really specific once you start to gain some experience and notice what your plants need and everything but off the top of my head um roots organics has a great uh soilless mix there's those guys out in michigan doing the m3 mix um Detroit Nutrient Company Water Only is a good one. Um, Nectar for the Gods has been putting out some really good, high-quality stuff. Absolutely, um, we'll have to talk yeah. about that for sure. Yeah, those guys have. Uh, those guys are they, they care about what they do. Um, and they make a. They make sometimes a really nice water only. Uh, we were getting on one up there at the store, but usually they just have a few different blends. Um, they have one that. The number four is great for um, it's a sphagnum based mix, and mm-hmm. there's the the number two, I believe. Is it two? Uh, it's a blue label, but that one's more cocoa based. Um, so cocoa, I love. It drains well. It, it it's great, but you need to keep it watered a little more frequently, so it's a little less forgiving, and that's why I recommend sphagnum for beginners. Um, you can kind of go with a wet dry cycle on that, especially when the roots are starting to get established. You want to let it get dry, kind of for lack of a better term, search for water. So give them a couple dry waterings and then let those roots search out. And then once your roots get established, you can kind of get a little more frequent on the watering and keep that soil moisture a little more even throughout the growth cycle, um, and keep your waterings a little more frequent. So, um, speaking of watering that just, you know, since we're kind of, uh, since we're talking about indoor and everything else, watering is where a lot of people can go wrong, you know, so um, overwatering, um, Mm -hmm. is usually the, the, the thing that, you know, I hear about and, um, I've experienced. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we all go through some of those lessons. So I have a few things that, you know, a uh, few tips that will help people to figure out what is the right amount 
and we'll get back. We're, I know we're jumping around a lot. I'll make sure that yeah. we get right back on track. <laughs> um, but a few tips that I have for people to avoid overwatering is uh, fabric pots or or I th- uh, air pots. I think it's like basically like the plastic version of that, right? Yeah, they have a few different companies that are making them. Um, you know, there's smart pots. Uh, like, you know, Roots makes them out of like recycled material, which is really cool. Not Roots, the shop I work at, but Roots Organics. They're an Oregon company. Okay. They make their stuff out of recycled fabrics, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are great. Great recommendations. Yeah, fabric pots are the way to go. Um, it's just really, um, it, it allows. There's good drainage, I guess, for lack of better words. And um, just another quick tip before we get back on track is, like, um, like become familiar with how much your pot weighs and not your, mm-hmm. your pot that you're growing, but the pot that you're growing your pot in, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> become familiar with how much it weighs because uh, that's like actually a really good way of telling if your plant needs water so mm-hmm. you know, yeah absolutely super light when it when it needs uh water and super heavy when water when it's filled with water so yeah yeah you kind of never want to let it get to that super light point um right. yeah because you'll notice that you get calcium deficiencies when you get dry um yeah. and that's the that's the number one deficiency you'll first notice but a whole host of others if you let that be a consistent issue um but yeah, those fabric pots are good. The other one is, um, you know, before you transplant, let those root systems really develop because those root systems, if you're taking, you know, a clone that just popped out some roots maybe three days ago, that's not going to have as much a chance of setting roots in its new container after you transplant and you're going to risk overwatering um, before yeah. the roots can even get time to grow. Um, and then incrementally up pot all your stuff don't go from you know a small four inch square pot up to a 15 gallon go up to a, a one gallon and then maybe a two gallon and then maybe a five gallon and incrementally and that way you know that you're not overwatering that way mm-hmm. um but yeah those air pots are great especially once those plants get big um the key to the sphagnum mixes is, is more root more fruit um yeah you you're growing a big plant inside. Uh, you're going to want like a seven gallon pot, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Usually you can try almost get at that point. If you have a good, good yielding set of genetics, which is another key to a good start. Um, you know, you can get up to an ounce per gallon of soil. So, yeah. So yeah, let's, yeah, but that, that was a good way of getting us back on track. So we, we were talking about soil and we can finish that thought really quick, but there's, uh, quality genetics. So, any before we go on to quality genetics, any more thoughts on soil or uh, uh, maybe just a quick recap of where you think people might start? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely start with a sphagnum-based uh, sunshine. Or, uh, I'm sorry, like yeah, sunshine number four. You know, you can find that pretty or promix pretty widely available um and that's a great way to find something locally even if you know you're not in a city near any hydro store specifically you know um just make sure they're not storing it under the rain <laughs> make sure yeah. it's under an enclosed space and then um 
honestly uh nectar for the gods one shot it's a dry fertilizer that they make it's a one part you just add it to your soil and it it'll feed your plants for about four weeks um a lot of these super soils they unless you're planting on a 30 gallon container they're not going to necessarily give all the nutrition to the plants that uh you know they need to grow out the entire cycle that's what i've noticed at least um i used to mix my own super soils you know kind of following uh that rare dankness method mixing like five different fox farm types and adding all these like oyster shells and castings and whatnot uh guanos and even after that after following their recipe they they just wouldn't have all the nutrients they needed to get to the end of the cycle but one shot you can you can top dress it and water it in and it'll keep feeding for four to six weeks it's great stuff nice yeah i really like it Nice. So um, we'll get back because I we actually have talked about three things. I just realized we're talking about space, soil, and genetics. Yeah. So um, let's <laughs> we wrap skip up to indoor. Let's yeah. Let's wrap up uh, space on mm-hmm. on indoor really quick. So you talked about outdoor growing space and how maybe yeah. best to qual- uh, to to comply with the laws, you know, as they stand. Thank you for going over that. Um, but yeah, let's talk about indoor grows and how um the the options you have for for your spaces indoors it's kind of a limitless options (laughs) you can be creative and it's it's really cool to see how uh how much you can yield in small spaces um the efficiency that you can crank out of a garden can be really fun to play with um uh for anyone starting out you know a three by three foot space or a four by four foot space is really all you need. Um, they make some tent that you get a grow tent. Gorilla tents makes good ones. Um, pretty heavy duty types where you can like hang off of and stuff. Um, they even make some that are two feet by four feet, which actually fit into a room a little bit better. And they kind of accommodate some of these led lights that are coming out that have more directional lighting. So, um, Get yourself a tent, get yourself a fan to extract air out of that tent. Uh, you need at least one circulation fan. Air movement in a grow cannot be underestimated. You, need, you want that air cycling. Um, air movement helps to prevent uh, pest and pathogen press, pressures. Um, and uh, you want a pretty bright light if you have access to a par meter that helps to um read light levels um you know you want light that's pretty evenly at around 500 um par um and i think they sell some pretty cheap ones through some of these hydro retailers um what else would you need need five pots <laughs> yeah. uh, and enough soil to fit in all those and ideally either um a dechlorination solution or i run reverse osmosis water and i think everybody if they can should run a reverse osmosis um it gives you total control of what's going into your plants and yeah. uh, you don't have to second guess whether or not killing off bacteria and microbes in your soil you don't have to second guess what kind of possible heavy metals you're irrigating into your plants because even during a flush you're going to be 
putting in uh, tap water and that's going to have some minerals. So you can't necessarily get your plants as clean as they need to it flush with that. So um, a timer, definitely need a timer unless you're running photo or non-photo auto auto flowers. Um, and a lot of people are really digging these auto flowers to start out. Um, I kind of set it and forget it. And those they do have a different germination procedure as photo period and everything. So we can go over that later too. Um, I think I covered all the basics on a grow space setup. Um, yeah, I would agree. Just, and just uh, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say be mindful of where air is getting put. Um, once those plants are growing, you're going to have a lot of humidity being cranked up in there. So yep. you might need to get a dehumidifier or be able to pipe that exhaust air outside of the building so you're not uh, creating you know, spaces for mold to flourish and stuff outside of that grow tent as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, folks, if you're looking for a timer for your light, um, a, a recommendation I have for you is to maybe look into smart plugs. It's something that I use with my light. I have the light connected to a smart plug, and the smart plug is on a timer, and I'm able to... I actually have flipped my flower uh, plants into flower remotely before. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was at the mall and I was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> I, 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 for I'm weird. I grow. Uh, we'll talk about the distinction here in a bit since you brought it up. Um, I grow photo periods, um, but I grow, I grow them. I only veg them for a month and then I flip them into flowers. So a lot of people say it's like, "Well, you might as well grow auto flowers." Um, nah. But I just, you know, I just prefer um, photo periods. But anyways, yeah, that's kind of a, a perk of having smart plugs folks so you can set the timers that'll run by itself um and then you can change it anywhere in the world which is super cool so oh yeah internet of things like it's gonna it's already on a commercial level revolutionizing growing and efficiency and eventually we're all gonna be able to uh electronically control a solenoid valve that gives water to one plant and nutrients to another and cool stuff (laughs) like that um yeah yeah. so let uh, let me do a real quick recap. I took notes. Um, so we talked about outdoors and indoors. Um, with indoors, you know, the best place to start is probably a tent. You know, you can craft your own space. You can get super crafty. Um, but I think a good place to start is a tent. Folks, if you're constrained by space, maybe look into space buckets. Um, I'll say that again, space buckets. There's a subreddit for it called r space buckets, and it's literally people that have figured out how to turn five gallon buckets you like get two five gallon buckets crafted together and you can grow one single autoflower plant so short statured you know plant um and it's a it's pretty complicated honestly it sometimes people say it's more trouble than it's worth but if you're constrained by space and you're willing to if you're up for a challenge look into space buckets um so you talked about you need lights with a timer, whether that's a smart plug or some sort of uh, physical timer uh, for power, you'll need, in Illinois, you can grow up to five plants, so you'll need five pots if you're planning to do that. Um, Water is huge, preferably RO water. What you folks have to realize is that your town's water 
you, there's chlorine in it, so that's why you brought up you know dechlorinator. Um, there's also things like fluoride in the water and other things. So um, you know you you get what you put into it, right? So you want to put in the best sort of water. And like John said, RO water is a great place to start. And in fact, RO water, if you don't have a dispenser at home, it can be found at most um, grocery stores. Just keep an eye on when the last time that machine was maintained. Um, that is important, you know, because sometimes people don't change out the filters or whatever. So do keep an eye on that. Um, and then... Uh, you made reference to, to seeds, which obviously we're gonna gonna need for <laughs> to grow, right? So maybe that's a good um, segue into not only um, well, I don't want to start with seeds and why it's important to get quality seeds. So yeah, like a good segue. Oh yeah, um, I did forget to mention you should probably get a filter too for your air. So a charcoal filter for that exhaust yes. air to to help uh, scrub any noxious odors. Yeah. Uh, pretty cl- clutch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, and so back to seeds. Kind of like with your equipment and your water, garbage in, garbage out. Um, genetics are going to be your number one most limiting factor. You can build the coolest, most efficient grow space. But if you have garbage genetics, they're only going to put out as much as they're predetermined to. So um, do your research when it comes to breeders. Um, Find breeders that have been around for a while. Find breeders that um, work with genetics that are well-known, that something maybe you've tried along the way um if it's got chem dog in it or og or whatever and you've found a liking to that and if it's crossed with something else you're curious about um get those seeds um obviously don't break the bank on them but good good set of 10 seeds might cost upwards of 150 bucks but right uh, yeah when you're looking for seeds too, um, not only are you looking for quality, and like you say, you don't necessarily want to break the bank. Sure, you can pay a lot of money for some good genetics, but mm-hmm. let's talk about some other things that you should look out for when you're buying seeds, or that you should be aware of at least. So, um, first of all, there's this, the distinction of auto flower and photo period. Do you want to just start off with uh, the difference between uh, auto flower and photo period seeds? Yeah, so photo period, um, my preferred uh, genetic source, they, uh, they'll grow until you tell them to switch into flowering. Um, I like them because you have a little more control of what's going on with the plant's life cycle. Um, yeah. You can kind of predetermine where you're going to take things. Autoflower, it's all up to the seeds, genetic uh, predetermination. And so, um, it's a lot easier, kind of set it, forget it. And autoflowers, honestly, they give out more flower to stem to leaf ratio than photo periods. So in the space you're given, you're going to yield more, um, quality wise, uh, I think they're still working on it, but, um, from what I've been seeing, autoflowers are really kicking into high gear when it comes to quality, which is really cool yeah. to see. Um, 
uh, it's great that anybody can just kind of put it out on their patio and know that it's not going to turn into a freaking hedgerow. And <laughs> um, you know, you even you, you start a you you start a seed in June if it's photo period, it might be eight feet tall by the time it finishes. So yeah. Um, but yeah, you also want to be looking out for um the time it takes to bloom and what you think your schedule is going to be like when it comes harvest time. So photo period has, uh, they, they usually determine it from the time that you switch it into 12, 12 cycle. That's your flowering time. Whereas auto flowers, they like to give you a seed to harvest time, um, which is really cool, but those can be anywhere between 80 to 140 days from what I've seen. Um, and the other thing with autoflower is generally you want to start it in the container that it's going to finish in as well. Uh, transplanting an autoflower is going to pretty much just slow its life down and probably going to reduce your yield and the quality of the flower at the end of the harvest too. So um, definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah. I think uh, just two other things to keep in mind, or maybe it's, I guess it's one other thing. Um, look out for, I mean, with autoflowers, I don't know if it's as much of a thing, but definitely for photo periods, look out for the, if you're getting regular or feminized seeds, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, we've talked about it in the past on the podcast, but can you break down the difference between regular and feminized seeds? Sounds well, pretty straightforward, but <laughs> for new people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the regular seeds, um, they're going to have a male and a female uh, population after you sprout them. And this is great if you want to keep making seeds, um, but not so great if you're trying to uh, keep your plant counts low and if you want to just take the guesswork out of stuff. Feminize, they're really, they're super convenient and oftentimes they put out a really high quality uh, end product because they're usually pollinating that... uh, that female with another female so up to the breeder it's a lot easier to determine the quality of your donor plant if it's a female because it's the ideal of what we're consuming whereas a male plant the only way to determine the quality of its of its output is going to be by testing the seeds later on down the line um there's not really a good way to look at a male sometimes when it's flowering you can you know see some resin glands and increased flower sites and stuff like that but you're really not going to know until you grow out the progeny of that cross um so you get a kind of some way more high quality crosses when it comes to feminized seeds um growing out feminine seeds i've had some really great success and any breeder that's using feminized seed, they can really accelerate the breeding process, even for regular cross outputs. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think they're great. And awesome. if you can get feminized autoflowers, you're going to be uh, kind of a winning combination there for anybody starting to grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I know a lot of people that like autoflowers. So before we move on to um, the uh, our our next topic, um, not to get political, but what are your favorite geneticists? What's that? 
What what are some of your suggested su- geneticists? Um, hmm. And you can recommend on both sides of the aisle, and by that I mean photo period and auto auto flower. Um, I've seen a lot of promising stuff coming from that Dasmafisto guy, but honestly, I, I was gonna say, yeah, yep. he seems to be doing a lot of the really cool work. Um, so folks, if you want to check out what we're talking about i think a good place to go is on reddit r slash meth heads and that's m-e-p-h heads so m-e-p-h heads so anyways um yeah that's i haven't really seen any other last time i grew any autoflowers was back when lowrider was the first one um (laughs) like it's kind of like the first in like the original autoflower and after that, I was like, that was cool. It was more of a novelty back then. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't honestly say I've tested out any autoflowers um, to give my full recommendation. Sure. When it comes to photo periods, um, I've been loving Gage Green Group's stuff lately. Um, they put out some high-quality stuff. They've been around for a really long time. Um, Gage Green Yeah, groups. Gage Green Group. Um they used to be out in Berkeley. They moved to Michigan a few years ago. Um, play with a lot of good crosses. They got some funny marketing, but I mean, some really dank stuff that they produce. And they uh, work with some really high quality cultivars and stuff in terms of their crossing. But yeah, they have a really good taste for um, for herb, and so they really are able to select some cool stuff. Um, dna genetics is a really great one and they're one of like the larger seed producers that they'll put out some really great autoflower stuff or i'm i'm sorry uh feminized stuff um it's all consistent those guys have been around since like the early 90s like they were kind of like expats out in out in holland doing their thing that was even before 96 when california legalized medical um uh top dog seeds out of new york's really great um professor p out in oregon he makes some really cool stuff um who else uh, i like it i've heard the exotic or no no there's um, a ethos ethos genetics is pretty good yeah i bought, i was gonna buy a bunch of his stuff i uh i never pulled the trigger on that it's like i used to like have Same. a seed collecting like addiction of sorts i would just i was spending way too much money on seeds and i'm like okay i gotta like <laughs> own like kind of like buying vinyl that shit can get carried away yeah. uh, and that stuff's really hard to lift and move when you need to <laughs> <laughs> Folks, listen to what he's saying. Too many people have shared the, this experience of hoarding seeds. Just you know, just take it easy. <laughs> I mean, if, hey, if you want to have a collection, that's okay. We, we're not here to judge. Yeah. Um, we're also looking out for your. You know, we're trying to help you, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, I am proud of some of the yourself. stuff that I have that I'm like sitting on that I'm glad I bought because it's like it it, it it's gen history and hopefully you know these are seeds i got maybe 12 years ago that i'm i I have plans for and they're gonna be really cool seeds to crack open when the time comes and make some cool crosses with um some of my favorite crosses have just been free stuff too um 
Yeah, that lemon starberry that you smoked. Uh, that was a free pack of seeds I got out at a growers conference in Michigan. So that's so good. So yeah, good. yeah, and so it's like I don't know. Know your breeder. Um, try and figure out what their selection methodology is. Um, see what kind. Of, oh, relentless genetics. I've been rocking his stuff for a while too. Um, relentless has been doing great stuff. He. You want to find people that are grown out large populations to select from. Um, you know, there's the old pollen chuckers, and, uh, and I mean, I've been known to po- chuck some pollen, but that's like, you know, one-on-one plants. Whereas these guys are ideally selecting from 100 to 500 up to a few thousand, um, you know, children to be driven on in the line. So. Gotcha. So, um, I guess before we, um, before we move on from seeds, um, because that'll, I think that'll wrap up our conversation of what you'll need to start growing. Um, are there any things, any other things that people should look out for when buying seeds or that they should be mindful of? I mean, obviously folks buy it from, uh, a reputable seed bank don't just you know and by that i mean one ones with reviews so yeah do you have any seed banks i guess um usually i pick them up great lakes great lakes genetics seems really good um usually i pick them up in person at different events but though to be honest i'm like sure um so yeah that are like um yeah great lake genetics seems really good seeds here now seems really good um when you pick them up in person do you have any like are there any go-to questions that you have for them um about the seeds like that you think that other people should adopt into their mantra for buying seeds um i don't know i usually i mean i usually just look at the crosses that they're using and then I'll ask them what their favorites are, um, sure. you know, and you can usually suss out somebody and see if they're trying to sell you something or see if that person's got a genuine demeanor towards mm-hmm. their product. And, you know, if they get an attitude of what you need, ideally they, they listen to you and see what you want. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I guess, and obviously price point too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, sure, sure. Yeah, unless it's something really, really cool, don't spend three hundred bucks on a pack of seeds. Like, it better be really cool. <laughs> yeah, what? Um, I've paid like around like you know I've seen seeds that are for sure three hundred dollars a pack. Mm-hmm. I've seen them higher than that, but I've generally gone just if you know just. 60 bucks for 10 seeds right something mm-hmm. like that you know um would you agree that that's a good starter 60 offer? bucks will probably get you a pretty good pack of seeds especially if they're like feminized uh 60 yeah. bucks for like a six pack of feminized seeds should give you good genetics and if not uh yeah i don't know either it's your grow methods or that breeder was just bad <laughs> yeah. So um yeah now that we've talked about what you'll need, um, let's talk about what people need to do. And because this is a audio podcast, it can be 
uh, kind of hard. Also, because it's such a long process, it can, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you want to be able to touch touch the plant, point to a part of the plant, and explain mm-hmm. certain things. So there's some places we can't go, and hopefully in the future with our YouTube channel or, um, you know, in our collaborations with you, maybe we can we can get deeper into some of the different parts of growing but why don't we start off with germination because earlier you brought up the fact that germinating um uh, there is a difference between germinating auto flower plants and photoperiods and i think the difference is would you say that maybe i'm wrong i tell and don't hesitate to tell me i'm wrong but would you say the difference between um, germinating autoflowers and photoperiods is that you want to germinate the autoflower in its final container, whereas the photoperiod you might you might step it up, um, or is that? Yeah, that's yeah, that's uh pretty much on point. Um, those autoflowers, like yeah, like I was saying, um, they have basically a clock that's already ticking the moment they get into into the soil or your your grow medium. Um, and so, as you would when transplanting uh, a photoperiod plant, you notice a couple days lag time unless you just really, really baby those plants super well and um, give them the best transplant. Maybe you see one day lag time, but every time you transplant, you're going to get a little bit of lag time. It's a little, little bit of growing time that your plants can't get back if you're growing an autoflower. Yeah. So... um you know, usually if you're using a soilless mix, I like to um, generally have my root space to be almost um, kind of like envision the footprint that your plant would make if you're looking from uh, like bird's eye view on top of it. You want that that uh, that root space to be almost as big as the plant is around. So, say you're growing a plant that. You expect don't let, to be <laughs> don't let me moving distract you by the way i'm just moving for a second oh you're all good yeah <laughs> um so yeah generally just um if you expect to be growing a plant that's gonna get three feet tall and be three feet wide you might be looking at growing in you know maybe a 10 gallon container so um yeah uh with photo period what i like to do you know people have their paper towel methods or whatever i'll just i put i put some cocoa in a those six cell starter packs and just literally put the seeds right in there and water in um i i used to do the paper towel method it's like okay if you're gonna save one f the effort of plant packing dirt into one cell pot because one didn't germinate or something it's negligible me fiddling with tweezers and putting a tap root into a uh into a uh bit of dirt seems a little too risky for me i've broken tap roots and that's a one plant gone at that point so um if it doesn't sprout up it doesn't sprout up (laughs) um it's just easier but you always want it to have kind of some warmth. So if you have a heating pad with one of those thermostats, uh, 78 degrees or so greatly increases how fast your roots grow. If you're cloning, um, 78 degrees on that, you're going to 
ensure that you're that's clutch for cloning is having those that temperature dialed in otherwise those if it's anything lower than 75 degrees you're just pushing back the time it takes to root uh you're pushing possible pathogen uh pressure on those plants when they're young like that it's just you want to get them off to as good a start as possible yeah i've got one of those heating pads and those that thing just that was the answer to my problem isn't it crazy right um same with like tomatoes and peppers too um yeah it's all they need and then um some really good stuff i mean before you put in any nutrients just use some kelp um it's kind of all i need to get started for the first week or so um Another one I like is the Roots Accelerator. Um, Roots Accelerator from House and Garden. That stuff is killer. Um, it gets your plants off to a good start. Those roots just absolutely explode. Um, keeps everything clean. It's got a little bit of molasses in there. So if you're feeding microbes too, it helps to uh, give those guys a little bit of, you know, exudate or what have you. Um, to get them flourishing in the rhizospheres as well so um yeah absolutely yeah so um i i don't know if you mentioned it but i love because i was moving locations justine um my co-host she just got off work and so she was uh starting to cook and i I didn't want there to be a bunch of sizzling in the background (laughs) yeah right Um, but uh, (laughs) So um, I don't know if you mentioned it, but the rap or the uh, rapid rooter plugs super super handy for me at least, because um, it it's like mimics that paper towel method that you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, and then you can put it into um, uh, what are they called? Uh, fuck, they're the things that the rapid rooters fit into. <laughs> I can't. Oh, uh, the cells. Yeah, they're cells exactly. Yeah. And um, if you get one of those heating pads, um, you can put the ther- the thermal um, thermal probe. Yeah, the probe into the like you set them next to the rooters, and it'll make sure that mm-hmm. that temperature is dialed in perfectly. Yeah, those are great. Um, they're definitely I like them a lot more for uh, seeds and cuttings. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, those are great. And what I'd usually do is just I put the uh, the probe for my thermostat just right, basically have an empty cell without a seed in there and put it right in the medium. Oh, nice. That's a good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that way, now I'm getting exactly seventy eight degrees in that rhizosphere. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I I'm gonna try that out. Yeah, but usually I just use the same cocoa that I plant in, though. It, I mean, it saves about 20 bucks or whatever. And yeah. <laughs> um, seems to be working just as good. Absolutely. But, yeah, I do like those little things. Yeah, they're pretty nice. So, um, so yeah, that that's germination. Um, as you talked about with autoflowers, you know, there's no real – you shouldn't really transplant them as you move up. Um, you're just going to stunt the growth of the plant. Um, but with, with photo periods, you can, you can step them up. Um, and, and you should, you know, I, or, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say you should cause, uh, I'm, I'm big on, I don't mean to, 
you know, there's obviously certain things that you can't do. Like you shouldn't water your uh, plants with bleach, right? <laughs> there, there are some things that it's like, you know, you have a little bit of wiggle room on. So oh, yeah. um, if you want to plant your photo period in your final container, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But it, I think you set yourself up for a bit of a challenge, especially if it's your first time through. Would you agree with that? Um Absolutely. Yeah, it can be a little harder to regulate the watt. Oh, <laughs> Siri was answering the question. Um, you know, I think that it's a little bit harder to gauge watering when, when you do that. Um, so. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, I think. Um, yeah, because overwatering in peat moss, that's a hard thing to reverse. That's like when you overwater, you're going to be waiting two weeks for those plants to recover. And that's... Yeah just not time that most people really want to take doing that and that's just yeah. to recover like they've stopped growing now we got to let them dry out and, you know <laughs> get better yeah. so yeah that's not ideal um, yeah and so um one thing that that will uh, i want to break down before we get any further into this to the distinction between auto flowers and photo periods Autoflowers, I'd say, grow best on an 18 to 6 light schedule. Photo periods, you should start them in an, on an 18 6 light schedule. Um, mm -hmm. But like you said, when you change it to a 12 12, that's actually, folks, how you quote unquote flip it, as we say, into flower. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I wanted to break that down for folks right off the bat. Um, you know, if you're if we didn't if we didn't make that clear enough already the schedule that you should be starting on whether or not you're growing on auto flowers or photo periods is 18 to 6 some people do you know with auto flowers i've heard they do 24 hours or they do yeah. you know different things but um generally speaking folks 18 to 6 is where you're wanting to start um and uh yeah just wanted to break that down um so i, I wanted to unless you had uh did you have something you wanted to say real quick? No. Um, I think 18.6 is also good, too. I used to do just 24 hours for my veg uh, plants, and plants definitely seem to like having that six hours of darkness a lot more, whether it's just the darkness or the fact that, you know, we as the plants caretakers need to sleep, too. So <laughs> every as long as they're growing and we're sleeping, we can't necessarily give the greatest care to them. So there might be times when our during our sleep cycle when they need water, then they just can't get it. So it's easier to time our lives around each other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I second that notion. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I personally start in uh, solo cups. And, folks, if you oh, yeah. start in solo cups please reuse them. No yeah. reason to <laughs> um, I personally use, um, I've got like these five solo cups that I've been reusing. And so they're clear. I keep clear ones, but then I put the clear ones inside of like the classic red uh, ones, you know, that's a good idea. Um, and so the idea folks is that when you plant the seed um, in the cup, you can, so you keep it in the other keep the clear cup in the other cup so as to protect the roots once roots start to pop out but then 
you can pull so you can pull it out of the cup and see okay is you know is the soil dry does it need another watering you can see you can see the rooting system which is the coolest thing about the the mm-hmm. method that I'm suggesting so you can really give it a you can really feel confident about when you are transplanting it cuz you can see the rooting system in there so now i've got one more thing to be captivated with yeah yeah (laughs) if it wasn't cool enough to watch your plants grow above ground yeah no exactly (laughs) that's the thing man and you guys would be surprised i please do this because um you'd be surprised how much those roots move in a day or two you know it's insane (laughs) inches they're like like little worms Uh uh-huh super cool a little little fishtails almost yeah, so start them off in a little container. You know, be sure reuse, reduce, recycle your containers. No reason to toss anything. Most things yes. can be reused, especially containers. Um, yogurt cups. I love uh, yogurt cups, regardless yeah. of the size. You know, they're very useful. Yeah, that's a really good tip. That that yeah. would work perfectly with the rapid rooter too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um. So yeah. Okay. So. We're, we've got a seedling popped. Um, well, let's talk about, yeah, yeah. When you, you the early stages of a seedling, um, you want to be careful with watering. You want to give it enough water, but you don't want to give it too much water, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just keep that in mind, folks. Again, I think that clear solo cup makes that easy. Um, if you can, you know. The, the soil the, the seed doesn't really need a lot and in fact like you said you almost want to make it reach some you know what i mean yeah it's like sometimes as growers we give uh anthropomorphize our plants and uh and by saying that they want to search for something but um you know they sure. they really do seem to search for water um for lack of a better term so and when they're, they're in their veg cycle, they're kind of the most resilient time. And you, you kind of have the most leeroy, leeway for error when you're doing this. So you can let them get dry. You, you can see them kind of start to droop a bit. Now, if they look wilted, sometimes you can hydrate them back. But you never want to get to that point. Um, yeah. But you can you start to let them droop. You can kind of feel the plants lose a little bit of stiffness to the leaves and the stems might seem to flop a little more or something. Um, ideally, that's not good either. But, you know, that's just some stuff to look out for. Um, because once you get those roots going and stuff, and especially in flower, consistency is the name of the game. So yeah. uh, consistency with environment, watering, nutrients, everything. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, on that note, folks... Uh, in the vein of consistency take a grow journal take notes of what you're doing yeah. and, um, one thing I think we forgot to mention and things that you're going to need for uh, a grow is a pH meter oh yeah you're very important completely right about that yeah and if you um, don't have RO water you're going to want to maybe be aware of what your PPM is mm-hmm. so, um, a lot of times tap is. water can add 200 ppm sometimes so um yeah which will affect how the all the new rest of the added liquid nutrients are going to act with the plant so yeah and we'll talk about nutrients in a bit but if you're using ro water folks you're going to need CalMag because ro water is filtered it's, it's such great 
such clean water that they filtered out the calcium and magnesium. So <laughs> yep. that's it. That's essential uh, for plants. Yeah. yeah. Usually, um, you might, if you're using our water, you might need a second, um, they, they make calcium magnesium supplements and usually all you need is kind of the lowest dose possible on there. Uh, two and a half milliliters a gallon usually, um, yeah. is all it takes. Cause, um, that stuff's great for flowering plants need calcium and magnesium to have nice big buds. So you need that, but the liquid stuff has usually added nitrogen. So you can't overdo that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. We've got our seed. It's, it's our seedling. It's growing. It's starting to grow a few leaves. Um, just generally speaking, and I'll, I'd love to hear your perspective. When I my first transplant happens, generally speaking, when the soil is pretty dry, because I find that that makes it easier to transplant. <laughs> fuck doing it with wet soil. Um, but I also just rule of thumb with the so- solo cup. It's when the leaves have like extended the length of the container. In other words, if you're looking down at the solo cup and the leaves are larger than the container, you know, they're hanging over the lid or whatever. Um, that's probably, probably a good time to, to, uh, transplant. If you're doing the clear solo cup, you can really tell when, when is a good time to transplant because you can tell that root system is developed and maybe starting to loop around. You don't, you want to maybe do it when you see it start to loop because you don't want it to choke itself out. That's, that's what can happen right so yeah yeah um yeah you'll notice uh, some pretty explosive root growth if you let it get um i've noticed at least kind of get bound up but I, I i'm also so used to growing in cocoa where you can grow some really big plants in small containers when you're using cocoa yeah. um it's really cool so you're saving a lot of grow medium costs and just material in general um but yeah no that's usually a good good way to do it um yeah usually um you know you can imagine however tall the plant is that's about how deep that root's gonna be going as well so um nice yeah and yeah if it's sucking up all the water you gave it in one day and it's, <laughs> yeah. you know sucking it all up in six hours or something yeah, it's probably time to pr- transplant just for your own sake <laughs> save a little bit of work absolutely so um we transplanted into a new container starts to take off um what are the the next things you start to do personally i start to watch the number of nodes that have developed on my plant because I start to prepare to train the plant. Yeah. Um, so you want to look at the nodes now. Are you, uh, are you the type of guy that likes to top your plants or you just bend it over and let it go like that? Yeah. I personally like to top my plants. Me um, too. So that means, uh, just, you know, pinching off the, top one or two nodes um and then you can expect every other node to sprout out two branches on top of that for below that so um yeah. yeah so folks that are wanting to um see kind of maybe what this looks like 
Um, I'm gonna. This will be the first resource that we've given out. I think in this podcast, feel free to give any that you prefer. Um, people laugh when I say this resource, but it's honestly a great resource. Um, the name of the article slash guide is "Topping Cannabis Guide." So if you Google Bing, Duck Duck Go it, whatever search engine you guys use, um, <laughs> uh, if you search "Topping Cannabis Guide: How to Top Your Plants." Um, grow weed easy growweedeasy.com has a great guide on how to top your plants they've got um, you know little graphics and before and after pictures and explanations of uh, the difference between topping and fimming which pretty similar but there is a slight difference um, you know uh, I say slight it can be actually pretty dramatic but it's when it comes down to the technique um, it's pretty much the same sort of process right so yeah um, <laughs> so yeah and, the, and what you're doing why don't we explain uh, what topping it, you know what you're trying to achieve so basically it's a plant training technique that involves cutting off the top of the main stem and the technique is designed to give you a free way to create more colas as well as spread out the plants so that you can take advantage of all your light as a result Topping can help you achieve bigger cannabis yields. I'm actually quoting uh, Nebula Hayes from Grow Weed Easy when I say that. So, huh? Um, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it basically makes all the plants uh, your plants branch out, so you're gonna have multiple tops. Yeah, um, and I think another op- way another person has put it is it breaks the atypical dominance of the plant. So typically. Yeah, the plant grows like a tree, you know. Exactly. Um, when you top the plant, you can get it to be a little bit more bushy. Yep. Um, yeah, and uh, that way you can get higher yield. You, the best part about it is uh, you have a more even canopy to put light on your plants. So the tops of your plants aren't hogging all the light while all those surrounding branches are getting less light. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, topping's great, and then fimming is, uh, it stands for fuck I missed, (laughs) and it's kind of like trying to top, except you, like, cut, like, slightly higher than topping, (laughs) so it kind of does the same thing, but, um, uh, you get a few extra branches out of it, I think. (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes the result you can get is kind of, uh, unique and random. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Whereas topping, you can like that that top node that's coming out. You can just pinch it off with your fingers, and uh, it's a little less detailed and yields some pretty good results either way. But just count how many uh, branches or nodes you have forming below it, and so that way you can kind of uh, determine when you actually need to do that. Because you know, eight branches can kind of fill up a two by two by two foot space or one by one foot space pretty easily. So if you got five plants and you're working in a four by four space, you might need to let it go up to the 10th note or something to get it to really fill out. You can even top the branches after you top it that first time. If you really want to get crazy. Hell yeah. So to bring it back around to something that you talked about earlier, uh, since we're probably about to the four week point, since we're talking about topping and stuff, three, four weeks, you know. Yeah. Um. So, uh, that's about the point that you mentioned that some of the soils that you suggested might run out of 
oh yeah needed nutrients so let's talk about nutrients um do you have any suggestions for nutrients i mean we talked about nectar of the gods earlier which i think is super super good nutrients but uh maybe not the best for beginners maybe not since it's so ph sensitive you know yeah there's they have some stuff that they have like some like four different regimens i think they use um and i mean you can get away with uh you know just using kind of their base nutrients i think to get you through a cycle but and i started out using fox farm um it's yeah. pretty widely available it's cheap um and this is if you're using liquid nutrients too um you know you can make your own teas if you really wanted to um <clears throat> but yeah uh dynagro is a really easy one part synthetic nutrient um what i like a lot about it is that the dosage rates are super low so um it's like five milli milliliters a gallon or something um when you're using like nectar for the gods it's organic and the quality you get's great but you might be opening five different bottles of stuff yeah. and you're adding one ounce of these liquid nutrients so always look at your dosages because if it turns out you're adding an ounce per gallon of something you're gonna run out of nutrients pretty quick and that's extra money so um yeah check out dynagrow if you haven't it's really easy um personally for cocoa i like house and garden they also make a soil line um house and garden's great they've been around for a really long time um i've used a number of nutrient companies heavy 16 is pretty solid but house and gardens always just put out the best quality for me um what else uh a little cheaper one um what's that called um uncle john why am I, do you remember, do you know who I'm talking about? Cutting edge, ah. cutting edge solutions. So if you're familiar with like general hydroponics, yeah. uh, cutting edge solution is kind of a good uh, alternative. I like it because there's no dyes. Uh, anytime I've seen like an orange or a blue bottle of plant nutrition, it just kind of like, I don't want to put food coloring in the stuff that I smoke. Um, yeah, it just weirded me out all the time. So cutting edge yeah. doesn't have those, and it's pretty reasonably priced and super effective stuff. Um, what else? Yeah, those are some really good American suppliers. Um, if you want to get fancy, Canna. Canna's good, and they have a really good organic line that just it it creates some really nice flour and the super flavorful. Um, you're just gonna be paying a little extra for it, but I mean, with the stuff that we're growing, I mean, that's negligible when it comes to having a really high quality product in the end, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down. So, yeah. Um, yeah, generally speaking, I've noticed, yeah, it seems like a soil will last about four weeks. So mm -hmm. um, just keep an eye on it, folks. Sometimes strains are more aggressive than others. Certain strains are more aggressive than others with regard to when they're going to need to be fed. But generally speaking, you want to keep an eye on it three to four weeks in. It's probably going to start calling, saying, hey, I'm hungry. Yeah, you'll notice those bottom leaves start to uh, show the first sign with a 
that type of nutrient deficiency usually it's gonna show in a nitrogen deficiency kind of your big macronutrients as they call them nitrate nitrogen um phosphorus and potassium will show kind of the first obvious signs um, micronutrients usually don't run out as quickly especially if they're already amended in the soil and sometimes can be a little harder to id anyway so um yeah watch those lower leaves <clears throat> um and if you know that you've just uh if you know that you've just uh like top dressed or whatever transplanted but you need to give your plants a nice quick boost um Mm-hmm. A little bit of liquid kelp goes a long way to just adding vitality to your plant. Um, my favorite foliar is just liquid kelp um, with uh, Photosynthesis Plus. Photosynthesis Plus has a big selection of bacteria and fungal spores in there that help to um, they kind of colonize the leaf surface. So it adds a little bit of CO2 with the leaf surface, but it also has uh stuff that's going to outcompete any uh you know pathogenic microbes as well so it has one of the bacteria uh or it's the bacteria that's in uh activinate so that's kind of the most no- the number one organic treatment for powdery mildew so um yeah photosynthesis plus and then uh, a fulvic acid just to help transport everything a little better so um I like full power. That's really, really good fulvic acid that most people can find at their hydro store. Absolutely. Um, so, all right. So we're, we've topped our plants. We're maybe we can reference a few training methods. Um, I personally employ low stress training or LST um, with along with topping and um what what i'm trying to achieve or what i set out to achieve is an even canopy so if any um tops yeah and sorry you said the technical term earlier um uh, i don't know uh, i can't remember fim um no uh what I was trying to say is I'm trying to talk about um, making an even canopy. So each top needs to stay. I was trying to see if I was using the right term when I say top. Each top needs to be at the same height. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what term I use. But, uh, yeah, just keep them all at an even canopy so they're not, you know, Growth tips. I think oh, yeah. be, that's what we were saying. Yeah. yeah, pinching off a growth growth tip to create more branches or something is probably what yeah. we said. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, it, you can do that in different ways. So, I mean, you can do that by even like tying the plants to uh, the pot that you're using. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just like to use one of those screens. Um, but if you're growing different cultivars, sometimes they don't get as high as each other. So it might be yeah. kind of difficult to use those screens. So if you just use string and, uh, you know, tie put some little holes in your pot and then tie them down that way, that can really spread them out and stuff to yep. get you really nice light penetration. Um, Folks, if you're looking for another method, I use uh, uh, gardening wire and mm-hmm. uh, binder clips. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so you can use the binder clips to clip to the side of your pot 
and then you can use you can run the gardening wire through the binder clips and then attach to your plants and uh you're able to reuse you know that those materials as well so yeah just watch out what you're using so it's not being too abrasive on your branches um slicing through it and stuff yeah so not like stray wire but like something that's like kind of softened of sorts um that's like soft rubberized coating uh yeah that stuff's great um yeah super easy to work with too and you know reuse that reuse whatever you can uh keep our impact on the planet as low as possible here (laughs) absolutely um yeah but i like to use a screen um and i also i like to do a, a technique called super cropping um which is um you're almost breaking the walls of the branches i don't know have you ever tried super cropping is that when you like like kind of kind of snap it not really but kind of slightly yeah so you can either um you know i'll top my plants and let them branch out and then you know some plants because you're running from a seed some plants are going a little faster than the others are getting taller whatever uh, you want to keep those plants short let's say um after you've topped them you kind of uh you, you pinch the the wall of the stem and you kind of hear that crunch you want to like slowly 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 pinch it just till you feel that kind of little crunch and then you stop and you'll notice the day is coming that uh that it swells up a little right and it almost acts like topping but without the topping so oh. all the branches underneath that will grow out a little more um it slows the vertical growth of the plant so um you know it gives time for those other plants to catch up Uh, it's one of my favorite techniques so there's that soft pinching or what you can do if it's a slightly older stem that is a little harder to pinch is you can you know kind of take both hands um grab the branch not pinching it and then you kind of turn in opposite directions with your hands until you hear that slight crunch and feel that slight crunch and that'll be more effective for larger stems. Um, and then, you know, you can keep doing that all the way up the plants as it's growing vertical, especially, you know, when you trigger flower and you're going to get that flower spike to shoot up and, you know, that can <laughs> sometimes triple the size of your plants if you're not too careful. So, um, pinching while, while your plants are flowering is kind of the ideal way to go rather than, um, you know, chopping off potential bud sites as they're growing during the flowering cycle. So I definitely encourage everybody to experiment with super cropping. It's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. And this is also the time where you kind of want to start scouting for pests as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about pests and maybe IPM. Cause that's something that people have, uh, avoided on this podcast. Those are topics people yeah, avoided in the past. Um, it's kind of weird. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about it. Um, what? First of all, let's just explain why why pests are a thing. Well, pests can come from your the soil you get if it wasn't stored yeah. in a correct area. Pests can also just come. 
uh, from random places, you know, like if you got if you got pets, it's probably a good idea to keep pets out of your grow space because pets are, you know, you let them outside or whatever else. They're pretty, um, they can bring pests in to just put it bluntly. And then um, also, you know, just having a warm, uh, humid area in your house is uh, it's attractive for pests. So um, there's a lot of different ways that pests can get into your tent. Um, however it happens, it's generally awful um, <laughs> unless you <laughs> unless you catch it in, in time. And that's what we're talking about, right? So yeah. um, what are some uh, easy ways? I, I'm going to kick off this conversation by saying that getting one of those little yellow sticky pads really and mm. having those in your tents, really good way to – um, catch when you have pests because you'll as soon as you start seeing bugs on those sticky pads well mm-hmm. what's going on yeah the the yellow ones and then the blue ones because each one will attract different uh, type of pests so if you have both of those um, but yeah definitely being aware of just you know when they're going to be most present so yeah like you said uh, when you're getting soil um, a lot of times the most You'll see them most frequently, uh, kind of like mid to late autumn, uh, because the weather is changing outside. So those bugs are going to move inside, um, you know, just natural. So, uh, you'll see them less frequently in the winter and the summer usually, but unless they're holdovers from when they moved in that autumn, but, um, yeah, definitely want to always be scouting um so scouting using those sticky traps scouting by looking at leaves um being aware of what a nutrient deficiency looks like compared to a bug bite um often a bug bite looks like a bite but they're sucking the juices out of the plant so they're gonna have more of a white white look rather than maybe a rusty look that a deficiency might have um so be aware of uh be aware of that you know there's so many resources online that have some pretty cool pictures um, and that Jorge Cervantes book has a great uh, visual guide to uh, common pest pressures as well um, yeah so always be scouting is kind of the number one thing you should be scouting your garden on a daily basis um maintaining cleanliness uh have a dedicated broom and dustpan that you don't use anywhere else and especially on the outside uh keep it right next to your garden don't use it for anything else keep anything where bugs could be hidden away uh keep that all sweeped up keep a clean space um and then uh Kind of the other biggest way that people are going to get pests is by bringing in outside clones and genetics. Um, yep. You know, the, there's a good chance you'll never see powdery mildew or spider mites if you never accept a clone from somebody else. <laughs> um, broad mites, you definitely want... You've I've gotten broad mites from old soil that was left outside over a winter and from a clone that I got from someone else. Yeah. So, and those broad mites are the worst they are the absolute worst to have to deal with you do not want to uh your response to that will be almost scorched earth (laughs) but uh yeah so it's just that's that's cut everything and start over (laughs) yeah so folks the lesson the what you want to take from that i think is 
correct me if I'm wrong, John, is that, um, you know, clones might seem like a great option, but they can lend, you can, you can end up with a lot of problems that you didn't a lot of problems start with yeah so yeah unless you're best friends with the guy that you got him from um you know out in california they were dark heart nursery was probably the biggest purveyor of pest disease uh in california and <laughs> along with a few other uh pretty well-known uh clone well, companies <laughs> and that's why i say it because people go to those types of states and they see the little clone nursery and they're like oh my gosh let, let me buy a clone it's like no that's a nasty place to buy a clone from yeah it's not a good idea um there's a hops latent viroid that <laughs> is, is circulating out in california and if you pick up a clone from out there without knowing exactly where you're getting from good chance you might pick that up along the way as well uh and that's just that's gonna that's another scorched earth response typically so yeah um yeah cleanliness watch your genetics and always be scouting top three most basic things and then after you're doing those well um you can move on to actual ipm which is integrated pest management which are you know kind of routine uh uh things you can spray and treat your garden with as well as um you know after that you can always you can also respond to any um insect pressures that you perceive through your scouting yeah yeah absolutely um, and indoors and outdoors are often going to have in my opinion vastly different uh ipm protocols as sure. well sure. so indoors you yeah. know i would imagine outdoor it's got to be a little bit more on it than hopefully indoor <laughs> hopefully outdoors outdoors you're to me it's all about working with the environment and rather than working against it indoors you're working against the environment <laughs> like yeah, you're, you're trying to maintain cleanliness you're trying to maintain a a barrier to the outside world whereas outdoor you're never going to defeat nature so work with it um plant border plants plants uh plants are gonna gonna attract beneficials if you ever see a spider don't kill it <laughs> spiders yeah. indoors or outdoors are good um yeah that's that's what i always say yeah <laughs> um you know there's different types of peppers that attract wasps and those wasps will attract uh or go after all the pests as well um green lacewing are great um pirate bugs too rove beetles those are great aphids are going to be one of your biggest problems outdoors and lacewing will just devour them Mm -hmm. um those things are great um then some kind of some sprays that you want to um you know kind of be on top of at least you know once a month if not every two weeks um some spinosad or and then uh like an oil blend is usually pretty good so i like i've been using the canatrol lately and that stuff's really great um i think it's a blend of thyme rosemary and um some other types of oils um flying skull that stuff's a gnarly organic pesticide uh, it's super effective it kills broad mites but it's expensive um but it works um but i wouldn't use it for the fungus prevention like they might suggest i'm sure it prevents it but i wouldn't use it during flower for it um 
if you're in flower try and avoid spraying things that's when i kind of like to try and switch to a predatory insect approach um you know, if you have a population that's getting out of control, then predators will usually at least keep that problem in check until you can harvest. Um, right. You know, not let things get out of hand. And that way, you know, if it's just some spider mites, even they'll, they'll probably take care of that and your issue won't even spread. So. Hell yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. Well, um, so we've, we've changed the light cycle for photo periods. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, and we'll, we'll make the relation to auto flowers too. We're kind of on both sides of the fence for folks. Um, so the plant has flipped into flower, which is for both, you know, mm-hmm. um, what are some things you generally see happening? Uh, I know that, you know, a flat, the flower stretch is uh, something that people might, be expecting and by that i mean the plant is going to double in size generally Um, yeah um yeah generally double in size would be the very minimum um so always expect that and plan for that (laughs) um and when they're doubling size that means outward and upwards as well so um if you're spacing plants close together be prepared to maybe chop some branches just so they don't overcrowd one another um but yeah, your plants are going to grow up. Um, one thing you can do is use a bloom booster the week before you flip them. And that keeps your plants short and it'll branch out more. Yeah. Um, that Mad Farmer uh, Moab, I believe it's called, Mother of All Blooms. You use just a little touch of that stuff a week before flowering. And it'll kind of kickstart the flowering process. They'll switch faster. You'll get more branching. Uh, lower stretch. And you're getting uh, a faster onset of flower sets so that stuff's really cool um or uh any number of kind of high pk formulations um i always kind of go a quarter dose that's all that they really need um and they would call that almost a sort of chemical triggering of flowering but um yeah you're gonna want to eventually start cutting the nitrogen uh usually at around like week three or four if you're using high nitrogen fertilizers um you know like a nitrogen booster or uh, some magnesium boosters or calmag boosters uh kind of reduce that just because nitrogen is going to make your buds a little smaller so you're going to get a yield reduction and might have some harsh smoke in the end too um but yeah you're going to want to start adding a bloom booster um Add that bloom with auto flowers. Um, you you want to start a little earlier because the plants are just you. The plants are always out racing you, whereas you kind of have a little make more control with the photo periods. So start with kind of like a quarter dose of the bloom booster. Work up to a half dose by week two. Work up to a three quarter dose by week three, and then by week four you can really start. Um, driving some bloom boosters into that plant to get them to really fatten up their uh <clears throat> their buds um and then also definitely take a look at you know try and be aware of different micronutrient deficiencies that might be happening because there's a good chance you're giving them all the bloom boosters and stuff but 
you'll start to see iron and zinc deficiencies, possibly copper, um, you know, little stuff like that. And it's kind of hard to tell exactly what's going on there. Um, cause a nitrogen deficiency, just, you know, your leaves are going to turn yellow. It's kind of an easy one to spot, but a lot of this other stuff kind of creeps in between the veins of the plants and stuff. Um, a calcium deficiency is going to have leave rusty spots in between the veins of your leaves. Magnesium, you're going to see yellowing in between the veins of the leaves. So, um, be aware of that stuff and that might mean that you need to add a little more kelp to your nutrition or something like that liquid kelp um or uh you know worm casting if you can find a liquid worm casting tea that stuff will fix almost any micronutrient issue um alfalfa insect frass is great uh insect frass also has a compound in it called chitin which will uh uh trigger chitinase response within your plants and that response um will get your plants to produce more resin uh, and uh, you'll get much more strong flavors yeah that sounds good more yeah resin. insect frass is great um and it's got all the micronutrients you need it's made from blood worms so um you know, it's basically a byproduct of like the pet food industry, <laughs> but that Chinese response, plants love it. It really boosts, boosts their vitality. Um, got great resin output on it, really improved aromatics and everything. And it'll help kind of really improve, uh, that micronutrients, uh, problem you might be having. Absolutely. So, um, one of the things I don't know that we mentioned, um, you're going to want to keep, we, okay. So you're going to want to keep an eye on your temperature and your relative humidity in your, oh, yeah. uh, environment when in ve vegetative stage, RH, you know, you, uh, I don't mean to say the higher, the better, but you know, yeah. it, it can do okay in tropical environments, generally speaking, you know. 70% is usually ideal. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, 70%. So that's why yeah. I even say tropical, make it make it nice and tropical in there. Yeah, they'll but, grow a lot weirder if you don't. Yeah. Once <laughs> you get into flower though, folks, you're really going to want to cut down on that humidity. You're probably even going to want to stay uh 45 at the most. Would you agree? Um uh, I I like to keep it myself at around 78 degrees and 55 to 60%. Okay. RH. Um, okay. I've just noticed that when I get the humidity lower than 50, you kind of, you start to lose a lot of water in your root zone. Mm -hmm. And so if you're feeding a liquid nutrient, you're going to have salt buildups there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my concern with that. Um, but yeah, 45% is good to kind of guarantee yourself a mold free harvest. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's um, why I shoot shoot for that, yeah. Yeah, um, especially when it comes to, like, bud rot and stuff. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I like to keep it at around 55, 60. And, and some genetics, honestly, are just prone to rot, too. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes if, if I ever find bud rot, it's just like, well, this is just genetics that are prone to it. Really dense flowers and stuff, so. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, no, it's trying to uh, try and get your humidity up to 55, 60 during flowering. And I think, yeah, you might, 
Yeah, I'm going to try it out for sure. Yeah, I've always noticed the plants kind of respond. They get those kind of like those leaves that curl up on the outside uh, when you get it a little too dry and stuff. Uh So, um, yeah, I like like to keep that nutrient, the the dilution on that as low as possible. So, um, so, um, so we're in the flower. Um, We're keeping an eye on everything. Like you say, Efficiencies can pop up. Um, most likely, you'll see you know nitrogen. Um, uh, one thing we we uh, and it's easy to forget some of these things that we haven't mentioned just yet um, that you're probably gonna want is a jeweler's loop because that's gonna come in handy for when uh, when it's t- come time to harvest and you're making that determination as to is it time right. So yeah. Um, one indication that I've heard that people use is that you can see the orange hairs start to to develop, but you obviously can't go just by the pistols turning orange. Um, or I th- is it the pistols that turn orange? Or am I? Yeah, or uh, I think uh, stigma uh, okay. would be the term. A lot of people call them pistols, but yeah, they're the stigma. They turn orange and. Okay. Um, yeah, once they start, usually plants start to do that at around week, you know, four or five. And um, I never like to let the plants go to the point where, like, there's no more white stigmas coming out. Yeah. Um, those have always, I, I feel like at that point, you might have missed the window to begin a good flush. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the plant metabolizing uh, during a flush needs to be occurring. And when you're, you can't. You might be able to flush the medium, but you're not going to be able to flush the plant at that point. So, um, yeah, the, the stigma is turning orange, and then uh, ideally the resin glands, you know, turning to that cloudy color. Absolutely, um, and that's where that jeweler's loop will come into play. Exactly, and those are great for looking at pests too, or find, trying to determine whether or not something's a pest or a bug bite or something. Especially True. when it comes to like thrips. Thrips can be really small um but yeah jeweler's loop and you know i this is all up to like personal preference too um but i i don't really like the once they start turning amber um you know i I never like to really go above like five percent amber coloration just because i also want to be preserving the terpenes um you know those those terpenes are gonna start evaporating so um you know, they only produce so much and then they start evaporating unless they're, um, you know, yeah. a different type of terp. So, um, yeah, 5% amber maybe. And a lot of times what will happen too is you got to make sure those amber trichomes aren't amber because they were damaged and they were just yeah. aged trichomes because damaged trichomes will rupture and turn amber on their own and it doesn't necessarily mean it's time for harvest. So just be wary of that. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah um it's all right to see a little bit of fading and stuff at the end of your towards the end uh at harvest time and, yep yep that's uh, a good thing to mention a lot of actually people, ideal yeah, yeah a lot of people don't know because most pictures are taken of of cannabis plants a few weeks before harvest because mm. that's their most photogenic time but mm. yeah those last few weeks can be pretty uh well 
They almost look dead. (laughs) Yeah, they don't look that great sometimes. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll. Yeah, ideally, it's, if you're flushing it's part it correctly. Of the flush, right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, part of the flush. It starts yeah. to kind of eat itself, for lack of better words. Yeah, and so that way you know that plant's metabolizing everything in there, including any leftover nutrients and stuff. Um, now, if it's organic, you know you can't necessarily always flush the medium completely, but yeah. um, you know you can get pretty close. <laughs> so um yeah that's kind of the you know the long short of it without getting into to a lot of details um i want to quickly um, remind people where they can find your website and find you online uh, before we change the subject so that um, if they're interested in learning more that they can connect with you yeah um yeah you can find me at illinoiscraftcannabis.com um uh that i basically started building the website to try and kind of cover how the industry is going and stuff um you know ideally i was going to be doing flower reviews and kind of news on the situation when it comes to new companies and stuff but um I, I, we all know that that's just companies. it's just not happening <laughs> um so yeah it's kind of a placeholder and like sometimes we'll let my thoughts and musings uh uh come out there but um ideally my objective is to use it as uh kind of a proof of concept and a way to hopefully as uh craft licenses are becoming issued that i can uh find one good company to really work with to um you know capture evocative and captivating imagery uh and tell a story of this company to uh, convey authenticity and one that also helps to honor uh, the individual stories of all those, uh, all the people that choose to use cannabis because ultimately we all have super personal stories that go along with this plant. Um, A lot of it, people identify with it in some one way or another, not everyone, but um, you know, I want to be uh, able to help a company, you know, build a story for themselves uh, to reach a really broad customer base. Um, And uh, yeah, obviously cannabis customers are really discerning with their stuff. So hopefully I can also be an asset to anybody that needs help when it comes to, you know, being able to really pinpoint what customer preferences are and consumer preferences are when it comes to uh, cannabis. Um, Let me see. Uh, And I think it's also good to stress um, that cannabis is a safe and healthy alternative and that we need to uh, always be mindful of being responsible users of the plant. Yeah. Hey, well, well said. Very well said. Responsibility is key. We try to stress that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think a lot of us are really active uh, people. I think, and that, uh, yeah, we need to, uh, you know, put on a uh, put on a good face for the rest of the community. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So you know, it's not always a. It's about relaxing and having a better quality of life, not necessarily about partying and getting fucked up and, you know, driving your car as fast as you can on the highway, guys. Okay? (laughs) Do not do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Go on a bike absolutely. ride. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's a good segue to, um, to what's going on in Illinois right now. I think that's, if you're prepared to, do you, do you have any other thoughts on growing before you want it, before we moved on to broader? Topics? Um, no, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, don't get discouraged if anything ever, uh, you know, goes wrong um or something you know it's just this should be a hobby that you know you find you're impassioned about and um you know always be learning always be hunger hungry for knowledge and there's no need to throw the kitchen sink at something either like a lot of times it's just keep it simple stoner and uh you know easy does it um you know don't don't give your plants the full dosage on the nutrient bottle go with half um (laughs) that's usually all they need yeah and um yeah if anybody ever has any pressing questions or something shoot me a dm on the instagram and i'll try and help you out as best as possible yeah so folks we'll have that information as always in the podcast description um if you're interested in uh look looking at his instagram handle or uh, that website you can just copy and paste it from the podcast description so yeah let's move on to um larger topics we recently saw uh the chicago tribune write an article about um you know allegedly uh gti uh having uh pay to play um having made um pay to play violations (laughs) potentially which you made the good point on my instagram um of saying you know kind of crazy that they single out gti and uh i noticed that your comment now has um more than a few (laughs) likes and I responded by saying, so true, Illinois is pay-to-play by nature of the way that it was set up, um, which I think is something that really can't be argued. You know, it's that, that's the way yeah, it is. Yeah, it's kind of how they got it all set up here and stuff. So, I mean, I, mean, it, I, I think it's just it's really weird that they would single out GTI, but, I mean, hopefully uh, – hopefully no gnarly consequences come to it um i don't know it almost seems like a smear article to me but uh (laughs) it it i mean it's a pretty big allegation i would say that um i'm sure if somebody did some digging anywhere else they might be able to find some type of thing that can be slanted towards pay to play or whatever i mean it's the system. Yeah. Every that's what I'm tr- the point I'm trying to make is that they're all Yeah, um, I mean look at construction contracts. Look at like look at look at any property tax attorney. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm hopefully 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 everyone comes out a happy camper after all that and it's not a big deal but ideally hopefully i mean i think we all we all have a place to exist within the cannabis space um you know hopefully uh hopefully they get their their time in court (laughs) 
I would, yeah, I, I, yeah. All these allegations, we should be clear, are alleged, are alleged, and uh, they've not been cleared up. Everybody's innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Um, but as we've talked about in the past, Green Thumb has kind of uh, hinged their success on their ability to take advantage of what they call tightly regulated markets, which company, which allow companies with enough capital to build a quote unquote moat around its interests and wall off competitors and at the at the end of the day what i've always said is i get it i i kind of get it um but again um the way that this whole thing was set up in illinois in my opinion was pay to play i mean these people yeah. lobbied for the right to get these licenses and they also lobbied for the right to have exclusive control of the market um right out of the gate i mean how else what else? I know that well, by law in those instances it wasn't pay to play, but let's be real, people. It, it's been pay to play for a while. You know, you host a party, you hire a a certain attorney, whatever. I mean, there's a hint, hint, nudge, nudge. To me, though, Illinois, um, the way that Illinois has been there, everything's been set up here. Um, these MSOs, you know, they put out clean medicine and all. Um, I'm not super fond of it. But, um, you know, it gets the job done and people can feel safe in what they're buying, which I think is fantastic. Um, but to me, all these companies, their product isn't cannabis. Their product is a system. Um, and what I mean by that is as we move forward and uh, national legalization, Illinois' legalization bill is kind of the blueprint that marijuana's policy project is using to get cannabis legalized throughout the country and then eventually the world so what's going to happen is that illinois system of regulation is going to be exported to all these states and that system is going to be exported to all these countries and so the product that they're selling isn't necessarily got cannabis but it's the system to navigate the regulation so consultants are going to be in high demand from illinois lawyers from illinois are going to be in high demand um you know and i think this is where the craft cannabis space really comes and can kind of fill the gaps when it comes to actually addressing the needs of customers and consumers rather than kind of um building a system <laughs> that uh you know is really with a real product of what illinois is doing it's it's cannabis corporatism and it's those regulatory systems that require human human capital to navigate <laughs> yeah well, high I mean, price lawyers <laughs> it's a damn shame i've heard what you're saying i've heard before uh the illinois is going to be used as a model for other mm -hmm. states yeah. uh, i'm i've even heard uh some of these companies I, I don't know if it was gti but other companies have said like this is going to be the new illinois that's kind of what they called i think new york yeah. at one time and it's such a damn shame because i i mean uh, I guess I'll covet this with or preface this with credit where credit is due for making it happen. But I don't think I think Illinois is a model to improve upon, not a model to, you know, like I just one of the things that I think is a fundamental problem with Illinois cannabis problem or cannabis program and the quote unquote legalization is that it's not legalized there's only it's only legalized in certain quantities this is what we've been talking about 
for quite some time and way back now we finally have seen a bill proposed that would do away with uh possession limits so let's hope we see that and that's actually a something that i think is um absent from the drug reform conversation and it's a point that somebody made on my instagram recently when i posted about um this associate biden uh attorney general nominee vanita gupta who claimed that she never advocated for the decriminalization of all drugs um she apparently apparently what let me see what this person had said but i i agreed with their point um one thing that's absent oh i can't find the comment comment unfortunately oh um the person said i think there's just a problem with the wording decriminalized drugs really means any amount of drugs which uh or sorry decriminalized drugs would really means any amount of drugs would have no criminal offense at all which she states she was never for but she is for decriminalizing small amounts of possession which um you know i think that is uh a problem that um when we talk about certain states being decriminalized, what they really mean is partially decriminalized. We've not even we've still not seen full sweeping decriminalization like you have in Portugal, where it's not a crime. I think Portland's the only place in the U.S. right now. But even Portland, I think, has uh, like a possession limit for each of these substances. If I'm not so, does Portugal though? Okay. Well, yeah, Portugal, you get caught with a kilo of heroin, you're going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, I, I'm not a politician, so I'm not, I'm not as adept at the mixed messaging, art of mixed messaging as they <laughs> are. Um, yeah. But, um, so to decipher it, you know, I can only go so far, but... Um, you know, I think that might have just been a political tact rather than an actual statement of their own opinion. But and it yeah. probably isn't something to try and rag her on, rag on about her about. I think the, you know, it's good to keep the pressure on Biden because he has a history of, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> not being cool. <laughs> but right. um, yeah, I mean, man, as long as. The biggest one of the biggest things we can do in this country to improve like equality of justice is just stop busting into people's houses for drugs. Like stop giving it police a reason to arrest black people like for nothing other like you can't make drugs illegal. You, drugs don't do drugs are not sentient. Like <laughs> like you're only making illegal the people that use them. So um his man as long as people aren't getting arrested and their houses busted into and um you know you you lift this whole stigma that you know has far-reaching ramifications for the positive when you get rid of these sanctions against people for nothing more than like in my opinion an innate human desire that's born of curiosity to explore your own mind <laughs> yeah yeah it's i mean it's crazy that we've I addiction's mean, a gnarly thing though <laughs> and like sure. 
Yeah, when when it comes to drugs and stuff, like that's why I always stress responsible use. Like if you're letting a substance get in the way of your decision making processes, if your priorities are skewed, if your connections with other people are um, you know, being stressed to the breaking point, like guys, let's step back. We need to seek some help if anything. Like there's no shame in it whatsoever. Um because there's no point wasting time on being addicted to a substance like it, it's it, it, you know finding an escape real. yeah it's very real and finding an escape um you know by hiking or in a healthy way is is uh definitely ideal and i think cannabis helps people find a certain safe alternative for escape and you know enhancement of everyday life rather than alternative to it yeah um so any other thoughts on the illinois cannabis industry as a whole or uh, the cannabis industry in the united states um I, i mean honestly like i never thought i'd see the day of legal cannabis in illinois i've been um you know i remember going to smokeouts in lincoln park and on cricket hill and doing the legalization marches with illinois normal and dan lynn back in the day downtown and you know i I never thought we'd see this so to be honest like the fact that we're here is honestly really incredible and um you yeah. know however these politicians are doing it i mean hopefully you keep uh keep all the uh, everyone else in mind and hopefully um you know that other people want to be stakeholders in the society and um we want to all be included in a as a force for positive change rather than left out and um you know hopefully they can come however we need either conversation or maybe you guys will open up more licensing and um you know illinois normal put out a um it's a pretty long draft study if i can see if i can find it here but it had uh, yeah so this is cool maybe i'll have to uh it is not coming up but they say that the Illinois market <clears throat> can handle about 500 licenses for cultivators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. I remember that study. It was before it was uh, pre-legalization yeah, that they published Yeah. That study, a year right? before January, 2019. And probably something that could use a recap every so often because there's, Definitely. it's not like this law is set in stone. Like you were saying, like, I think we can improve upon it. Like, um and i think any you know obviously it's in a company's best interest to build that moat like you know it's the unfortunate side effect of capitalism like amongst its arguably good side effects like um well one of the conclusions that they drew in that study was that the illinois market was woefully unprepared and uh of course pamela altoff uh yeah (laughs) released a study that um basically said the opposite of that and said no you know everything's fine we don't need more licenses um if i'm you know i don't mean to dig up past history but i believe pamela altoff used to campaign against the legalization of cannabis so it's nice to see that she's still doing that 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, sorry. I'm not sure if. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure if she. I don't know. Yeah, we don't need to go there. I was just. Being, <laughs> I was just being. Uh, yeah, I was just being. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Well, it's been fun talking to you today, man. Uh, hey, man. I, I wanted uh, to I... give you the opportunity if you had any final words. Um. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, uh, you're doing a great job. Like I said, um, keep it up, man. Um, you know, there's only, there's only up from here. Like we're building a whole, hopefully a whole really cool new cannabis society within the state of Illinois. Um, that's has a lot of really cool people like North to South, South to North. Like this state's got really awesome, hardworking people. And we had a, you know, we had a big brain drain out that people leave in the state of Illinois to go west, and they all want to come back. And like, you know, we're we're in a great spot here. There's lots of water. There's clean air everywhere. There's farms. Like, there's this amazing city of Chicago here. Um, so I think we can really build a cool thing as long as we're you know all boosting each other up and um, yeah, being kind to one another. So. Um, very yeah, well said. Thank, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Hey, yeah. before before we let you go, I'm sure we'll have you back on in the future. Uh, but before we let you go, I f- almost forgot that we received a question from a listener, oh, Ricky cool. Julian. Um, and so in the future, folks, like if you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to ask John questions, you can always, of course, reach out to him at Illinois Craft Cannabis on Instagram. Um, but you could also, if you'd like, you can reach out to us and um, send us a question. Say we got a question for John that we'd, you know, we'd like you guys to talk on air about, and um, I'll reach out to John, get him the question, so that we can have a nice, informed conversation for you, and and we'll make that happen. But anyways, our friend uh, Ricky asked a question, uh, two questions. We'll start off with the first one. Hey, Ricky from the trailer park. Yeah, yeah, Ricky. Hey, you Ricky, hey, bud. <laughs> <laughs> so, Drunk uh, as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> back on the pot again. Um, so uh, he says, Paying with hash coins over here. <laughs> <laughs> he says, can you make a gel for tissue culture for home use from easily acquired ingredients? I think all you really need is agar agar, but um, I've never done tissue culture and I haven't done a whole lot of research into it, to be honest. Um, But I think, uh, yeah, probably some aloe, some agar and uh, a little bit of sugar, right? But yeah, I don't know about that, to be honest. I I, I wouldn't want to give a definite answer on that, Ricky. I'm sorry. (laughs) No worries. His second (laughs) question is, what are the best methods for making feminized seeds is light stress a viable option versus hormones i don't think light stress would ever be a good option if you're using light stress as your feminizing technique um in my opinion that means that those genetics might be a little bit weak um a lot of times there's a there's a certain company in the state that uh that rhymes with merino um and they they seem to overfeed their plants quite a bit and that's what causes some stress to get them to start flowering that or they have an orange you know plug uh electronic plug-in strip that they forgot to tape uh tape over side note 
go and check out make sure you got don't have any uh you know orange lights from your power strips yep in Light your grow light. tent that stuff might trigger a hermy um but yeah no usually i think your prairie state genetics guy uh, uh colloidal silver is good or um what most of the pros use is something called silver thionate sulfite i believe um sts um it seems to be a li- mo- little bit more effective um kind of some plants just seem to e- either they'll uh, reverse and just the pollen they throw off is just completely inviable or um i think that's might be the issue is because with colloidal silver you you got to be spraying that stuff every day for yeah. weeks on end whereas sts i think the application rate is a lot lower so i think by less frequent spraying you don't risk possibly uh you know sterilizing your pollen as it's being exposed mm-hmm. gotcha. so yeah. Cool. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do a stress other than using the silver product, though. Yeah. Well, there you go, Ricky. So yeah, folks. Again, if you got questions, we can. Uh, you can always shoot him his way. We've got the guy's website and handle in the podcast description, or you can reach out to us. Uh, go to chillinois.net slash contact and fill out the contact form, and we'll get back to you. So, um, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate you so much. Uh, a lot of people have been uh, anticipating uh, this subject matter for quite some time. I'm sure. Right, cool. I'm sure we will return to it in the future because growing is something that I could always talk a few hours to you about. <laughs> oh yeah, and um, yeah, keep an eye on uh, both my Instagram and Chicago Roots, and hopefully. I mean, I got some pretty cool pictures up there, so hopefully I'll be doing some giveaways of some prints and stuff and later down the road and hopefully even a coffee table book. Hey, that sounds awesome, folks. Yeah, stay tuned for yeah. that. Cool. All right, man. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, setting aside the time and for the samples. Folks, this guy knows yeah. what he's talking about. How'd you like those? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, haven't gotten, I haven't gotten to try every one of them yet. Um, but every one that I've tried has blown me away. So awesome! Um, Glad you like it. Yeah, yeah. So I might cool, have to visit you again in the future. But <laughs> so, um, all right. yeah, anytime you want to come to Chicago, let me know. Um, yeah. <laughs> For sure, it's fun stuff to do. <laughs> all right, take care, man.